Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is going to be a special edition of The Joseph Carlson Show. We have an almost $300,000 portfolio. We're just teetering on the edge of being to $300,000. We're not quite there yet. But with this almost $300,000 portfolio, I have my money, my capital allocated across 26 different positions in nine different categories. So we have from tech and cloud computing to real estate companies, to income funds, fintech companies, healthcare, and so on and so forth. And what I plan on doing in this episode is going through each and every one of my holdings, every single one in every category, and giving my current honest opinion on these companies. Are they buys? Are they strong buys right now? Are they companies that I'm very enthusiastic and excited about? Are they companies that I'm just holding and I think that they've kind of tapped out their max value and they're just paying dividends? Are they companies that I'm becoming increasingly concerned about and am considering selling? That's what we're going to be looking at for every single one of these holdings. So grab your popcorn, your morning coffee, or whatever it is. Time to settle in because we have a lot to jump into in this episode. Now, before we jump into that, be sure to check out the Patreon. We have a link in the description. That gives you access to a dividend tracking website, a Discord community, a lot of exclusive episodes and AMAs and stuff like that. And also, just a reminder... The Joseph Carlson Show is a podcast, and it's on every single podcasting platform. So if you search The Joseph Carlson Show in Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you'll be able to subscribe there as well for free. Now let's go ahead and jump right in. Like I said, this is my almost $300,000 portfolio. We're just $400, $500 short right now. And the goal of this portfolio, like the name implies, is to grow a stream of passive income that's reliable and ever-growing over time. I want to grow it to where I'm getting thousands and thousands of dollars of reliable income every single month. And I'm also concerned about total returns. So I am trying to buy companies that will not only give me passive income, but they'll also appreciate in price over time as they grow bigger and bigger. Now, in order to accomplish that, I'm investing in companies that I think are high quality dividend paying companies. The biggest holding in my portfolio, it's Apple. So far, my total value of Apple is $49,000, of which 13,400 is gains. This one has made already some pretty significant gains. It's outperformed the S&P 500 by a pretty big degree, and I continue to be very bullish on this company. Now, I don't plan on going over my entire bull case with Apple. I've talked about this company already in multiple videos. If you want to see my bull case on Apple, go and view some of my previous episodes that are pretty recent on Apple. But to just summarize my bull case on this company, part of it is the service business. This is a big and growing part of this business that makes it so that the risk factor with Apple and their earnings, I think, declines over time. So the P.E. ratio expanding for Apple makes sense. Look at the service revenue growth since 2012. It went from $12.89 billion in 2012 to in 2020 being $53.76 billion dollars. So they're growing that sticky, reliable service revenue rapidly. And not only are they growing the total amount of service revenue, but if we switch this over to as a percentage of revenue, it's growing as a percentage of their total revenue. The services is making up a bigger and bigger portion of their business. For instance, in 2012, the services made up 8.23% of the total business's revenue, and now it makes up almost 20%. So as this story plays out, 
as Apple becomes more and more of a service-oriented company, they will demand a higher multiple. I believe that the reason that Apple trades at a 26 PE ratio while Microsoft trades at a 32 is because Microsoft is already largely a service-oriented business, which makes its revenues very reliable. So I think that as the story plays out and services play a greater role, as well as Apple just grows their earnings overall, this company will continue to go up in price. And I would not be surprised if Apple is trading somewhere in the 200s next year. That wouldn't shock me. I'm not predicting that. I can't see the future, but that would not be something that surprises me. So in summary with Apple, I'm currently very bullish on this company. Now, the next biggest company in my portfolio, the one right under Apple may surprise you. It's in the fintech and banking category. It is JP Morgan Chase. This company is one of my biggest holdings at $26,500 in value with $8,500 in gains. So a big portion of the total value of this holding is from gains. Now the story of JP Morgan's pretty simple. During the sell-off in 2020, most people were very concerned about owning any banks because they looked back in 2009 and they thought, I don't wanna go through that again. What if people start defaulting on their loans? What if they start losing their houses and the banks take on massive losses? Well, a couple things happened that avoided this. First of all, Jerome Powell came in with the money printer and made it virtually impossible for anybody to default on their mortgages. But not only that, even without the help of Jerome Powell, even without the stimulus, the banks were positioned much better than they were in 2007. The regulations that were imposed on banks made it so that they could not be levered anywhere to the extent they were before. And they were actually overcapitalized for any potential losses. So in any situation, JP Morgan was not a risky place to have your money. They had realistically no chance of repeating what happened in 2009. So having studied the issue and concluding that JP Morgan wasn't at risk, I made many purchases like this one. Buying JP Morgan at $95 a share when it now trades around $159. In terms of where it stands right now, I don't think that JP Morgan is the best deal. It's actually gone up to the price where I think that it's fairly valued. With my position already established in this company, I'm fine just holding on to it and getting these $150.18 dividend payments every three months. I like seeing that money continue to flow into my cash balance and I use it to buy shares of other growing companies. So as of right now, I'm not super bullish on JP Morgan. I'm not bearish on it. I think it will continue to do well. If you really want to own this company, dollar cost averaging into it is a fine strategy. Now, my number three biggest position in my portfolio is in the consumer category. It is Disney. The total size is $23,700, and of that, $3,500 is currently gains. Now, this is a company that I used to have a better total value to gain ratio, but I continue to add to Disney because I still see this as a company to be bullish on. I think they have a great future. Disney's done something magical with their business model. They've discovered subscriptions. And this entire story, the story of Disney right now as a stock is streaming, streaming, streaming. Disney owns three different streaming services, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu, and all of them are growing. Every single quarter, all three of them are growing. Now, if we focus on Disney Plus, I think that this is by far their most important service. This offers a lot of benefits to Disney. They can skip the box office. They can make their movies come straight to you and they keep all that margin in between. And the Disney Plus streaming service has grown like a weed. On its first day, it gained 10 million subscribers. And then in the first three months, it was at 26.5 million. Then it went to 33 million the next quarter and then to 57 million, 73 million, 94 million. And then last quarter, they reported 103.6 million subscribers. This is all within like a year and a half. They gained 103.6 million subscribers. No other streaming service is doing that. 
None of them are growing as fast as Disney+. Plus. Disney is a unique company, and they're a unique company with unique content amongst a lot of ununique, indistinguished competitors. A lot of the streaming space is crowded. It's crowded by a lot of competitors that come out with a lot of this type of junk food TV. Stuff like dating shows, reality TV shows, more and more cooking shows, the type of things that you can just have on in the background. But Disney stands apart by having a lot of unique, high-quality content that can't be easily replicated. Owning things like Star Wars and Marvel is a huge asset to Disney that separates their streaming service from any of the competitors. Here's one example of the brand value of Disney. There's an article from The Verge that says, Disney's Star Wars Hotel is just like Westworld, only for the wealthy. Now, this is an actual hotel excursion that you can go to for two days in a Disney Star Wars Star Cruiser ship. For the first time, it's real. We've traveled to the far reaches of the galaxy. We got recruited by the Resistance. And now we're ready. That's right. This is an actual Westworld-like excursion in a Star Wars ship hotel. For two adults to stay two nights, the price will be $4,809. How many other companies can charge that much for a hotel stay? Not many, but Disney can. And that's what comes with the premium of owning Star Wars. That's what comes with owning that universe. It is extremely valuable and it will continue to bring value to Disney, I think, for decades to come. So in my opinion, you could look at just the streaming numbers and the ARPU and compare that to Netflix. Netflix or Discovery or Peacock, but I think more importantly is to look at the uniqueness of their assets and how that will bring long-term sustained gains for this company. Owning Marvel and Star Wars in and of themselves will continue to bring sustained gains. So as of right now, I am very bullish on Disney. I think it has high chance of upside, low chance of downside, sustained growth, valuable, unique assets. It's a company that I very much enjoy having in my portfolio. And in terms of the dividend payment, I think that they'll reinstate it eventually. Now, my number four biggest holding is actually in the income fund category. It's an ETF called JEPI. It's the JP Morgan Equity Premium Income Fund. This one I have $23,800 in, and the gains are $2,513. So I haven't held this one for a long time. It's actually done considerably well for the amount of time that I've held it. And this one is a high yielder. It pays something like a 6 to 8% yield right now. So this one pays out monthly pretty hefty dividends. The JP Morgan Equity Premium Income Fund is a little bit of a mouthful, but it's basically a covered call ETF. Now, the goal of this ETF is three parts. The first is to generate income through a combination of selling options and investing in U.S. large cap stocks, seeking to deliver a monthly income stream from associated option premiums and stock dividends. So they take dividends from their companies, they take option premiums, and they use ELNs to generate monthly income. And the dividend is paid on a monthly basis to construct a diversified, low-volatility equity portfolio. Now, this part really hasn't come to fruition yet. They're not hitting their goal of having it be low volatility. In fact, JEPI has been more volatile than the S&P 500. So right now it's more volatile, but over time that is one of their goals, to make this ETF have lower volatility than the S&P 500. And they say the third goal is it seeks to deliver a significant portion 
of the returns associated with the S&P 500. They're wanting to deliver high yield monthly income, they want it to be lower volatility, and they want it to keep the majority of the gains from the S&P 500. So they're trying to have a mixture and accomplish all three of those things at once. And so far, I've been very happy with the CTF. I like the performance of it. I think it's accomplished its goal of providing monthly income, of capturing a lot of upside of the S&P 500. Now, in terms of buyer-sell ratings, Jeppy's not one that I think there's any need to rush into. You don't really have to time this type of ETF. It's a good option to dollar cost average into if you're looking for higher yield. If you want monthly payments and higher yield, then I think that this is a decent option worth consideration. Now, in number five, my fifth biggest holding, that is in the real estate category, it's a REIT that I'm pretty sure you've heard of. I've talked about it a few times. It's called Vici. V-I-C-I is the ticker symbol. I have a current value of $20,918. And I'm currently in the red by $815. I'm down 4.6%. Now, what I'll say is that this is a brand new holding. In most cases, when I initiate a position brand new into a company, rarely does it race up right after I initiate the position. Sometimes that happens. That's what happened with Win Resort. It just kept going up right after I purchased it. But in most cases, it, it kind of trades around for a while. I'll enter into the red. I'll go into the green, back into the red. But over time, the price of the stock will follow the story of the company. And that's what I think will happen with Vici. If you hold this company long enough, if the story plays out as a good growing dividend paying company, then the price will go up for the company. The gains will happen the dividends will happen over time. So that's what I think will happen. Now, in terms of this specific company, the story, the investment thesis, everything on that, I've repeated it in two different episodes. So I'll throw the thumbnails on the screen. These are the thumbnails to look for if you want to look at my take on Vici. I'm bullish on the company. I do think it's a good bet. It's of good value right now. But like every single stock, Vici comes with its own risks. And most of the risk for Vici is the risk of concentration. They're heavily concentrated in Vegas, right on the Vegas trip. If anything bad happened to tourism or travel into Vegas, that would affect Vici in a very bad way. They're concentrated into only a couple tenants, Caesars and MGM. If anything bad happened to Caesars or MGM, they couldn't pay their debt or their rent, that would of course affect Vici in a very negative way. They're also concentrated into the gambling, casino, the leisure resort, the travel industry. If anything happened to that industry in a bad way, that would affect Vici as well. So the risk of Vici is mostly risk of concentration. It's not a heavily diversified company. Now, like I said, I'm very bullish on the company. I don't think that these risks will play out in my opinion, but the future is unknown. It does come with its risks. In number five, we have another income fund. It's an ETF most of you are familiar with, which is Schwab's US Dividend Equity ETF, ticker symbol SCHD. I invested $20,700 into this one, and it's basically flat right now. I'm up 0.97%. $182. If you're interested in looking at great dividend ETFs, I think this is one of the better ones. And I'd recommend, if you're interested in this, to read Morningstar's breakdown of the CTF. They call it an excellent dividend fund. They go over the entire strategy, how it's constructed, how they look for companies that have paid dividends for a very long time. They diversify them into different categories. They have low turnover, and it's a very inexpensive ETF. This ETF is also one of the rare dividend ETFs that's been able to keep at pace with the S&P 500, even with the explosion of tech companies. So it's interesting to see an ETF that has a lot of these more 
boring older dividend paying companies like Coca-Cola and Procter Gamble keep along right with the S&P 500. So in my opinion, I don't try to time the buys of ETFs like SCHD. I think they're ETFs that if you have a long time horizon, you know, if you want to own it for five or 10 years, then you just buy into it anytime, any day, buy into it, establish a position and hold it for the long term. And I think that the CTF will do great in the future. Now in number seven, we go back up to the tech and cloud computing category, and we have none other than Microsoft the cloud computing subscription king themselves. I have currently $18,400 of value in this holding and roughly 4,000 of that is gained. So this has been a good holding. It's outpaced the S&P 500 in the general market. And I actually think that even though this company is trading at a 32 PE ratio, which seems very expensive, I don't think this company is expensive. Morningstar actually considers Microsoft to be an undervalued holding and I have to agree with them on this. Their income is so reliable. The growth of the company is so reliable. The products and services that they sell are so sticky that it's almost a certainty that this company will continue to grow. This company has geographical diversification. They have diversification within their subscriptions and their services, and each of their categories of products continues to grow with highly reliable income. They have their productivity and business processes, which is like the kind of legacy Microsoft Office suite. We have the Intelligence Cloud, which includes Microsoft Azure, which is heavily integrated with the rest of their products like gaming and teams. And then we have the personal computing segment. All three of these categories are growing every single year, year after year, and there's no end in sight. So I still, even with its current price, consider Microsoft to be a soft buy. And then in number eight, we have one of my favorite companies ever. It's in the consumer category and it's Costco, the warehouse company. This is a company that I seriously believe has one of the best business models, one of the strongest business models in the world. And the market is starting to realize this because Costco is trading right now at a 41 PE ratio, 41 times its forward earnings. That is insane. Microsoft only trades at a 32 and Microsoft trades at a high multiple. Apple's trading at a 26, but Costco trades at a 41. So investors have realized the strength of this business model, that it is a highly reliable, almost indestructible company that has been able to fend off every single type of competitor that's come its way. And not only is it successful in the US, but it's finding success in all sorts of markets, in Japan, in China, in Europe, in emerging markets, Costco seems to be able to replicate its business model everywhere in the world, which a lot of retailers from the US have not been able to do. Costco's business model relies on super low margins. And normally investors look at a company with low margins and they go, well, that company might be a bad company. It has low margins. It can't charge a lot for its product. But in the case of Costco, the low margins is the moat. The low margins is what makes it so that competitors can't compete. Take, for instance, their revenue breakdown. We have in blue their actual sales, and then we have in red their membership fee. Costco basically gets all of their income. All of their bottom line comes from that membership fee. That little sliver of red, that makes up their net income. The rest of this, the blue lines, is the low margin products they sell to get more members accustomed to buying from their company. As time goes on, the low margin works in the benefit of Costco because it makes it so nobody else can compete. That is again the moat of the company. If Costco were to increase the prices of their products and goods to be comparable to other places, there'd be no reason for people to pay that membership and be loyal Costco customers. So in this case, the benefit of Costco, the moat of Costco is the incredibly low margins on their sales of all their groceries and goods within their store. And they take that little sliver off the top 
which is their membership fees, and this continues to grow year after year after year. It's a pretty remarkable business model. Now, having said that, I still think even after that, that a 41 PE ratio is a little bit rich. I'm not buying this company right now. I don't consider it a buy right now. I simply think it's too expensive based on its future earnings. So I look for any opportunity to up my stake in Costco, but I'm not going to do it when it's trading at a 41 PE ratio. In number 10, we go to the real estate category and we have store capital. I've done many videos covering this company. It's a real estate investment trust. I currently have a value of $13,400 in this company. And of that, the gains are $4,700. So I've done very well with store capital. I bought this one during a major dip during 2020. And the company continues to have a very bright future. I consider store capital right now a solid buy. I think that this company will continue to do great in the long term. And in fact, I plan on buying more of this company over the upcoming months. Now in number 11, we go back to the consumer category. We have Home Depot, one of my favorite retailers, a great company. I currently have a holding value of $10,600 in it, roughly 2,300 of that being gained. So this stock has done well so far. I think the company has a bright future, but it's trading at a premium. So as of right now, I consider Home Depot to be slightly overvalued. And for me, that means it's a hold. In number 12, we have my only restaurant company and it is Texas Roadhouse. I think this is a really well-ran, reasonably priced restaurant. So if you're looking for exposure to the restaurant industry, I think this is definitely one to consider. It's cheaper than alternatives like Domino's and Chipotle and it's growing pretty rapidly. The company continues to grow about 15% year over year, which is good for a restaurant of their size. Most importantly with Texas Roadhouse is the company right now has zero debt. They have more cash on hand than they have debt on their balance sheets. So they're in a very secure, safe position. So in my opinion, I think this company is a soft buy right now. It has ample upside and very limited downside, and it's a dedicated dividend payer. Now, after Texas Roadhouse, we start getting into the smaller positions in my portfolio. For instance, we have Visa and MasterCard. These are like 13 and 14th in my portfolio. I have $5,500 of value in Visa, $5,200 of value in MasterCard. Visa's given me $800 in gains. MasterCard has given me $600 in gains. Both of these companies I grouped together because they both have a license. They basically have a digital license on digital payments throughout the world. So they have enormous networks and they'll continue to grow as digital payments take place. For both of these companies, I'm pretty neutral on them. I think they'll grow at a slow, steady pace. I think they're easy companies to dollar cost average into, but I don't see any substantial value right now. The only other holding I have in the fintech and banking sector is T. Rowe Price. This is a solid company, solid balance sheet, good future prospects. Unfortunately, when I initiated my position, I only invested $1,000 into this company because since then it's over doubled in value going up to $2,221. So I really haven't added a lot of money to this holding. And right now I think it's fairly valued. Now, next up we have the healthcare category. I used to have a lot more invested in these healthcare companies, in these big pharmaceutical companies. Right now I just have AbbVie and J&J. I have $5,400 of value in AbbVie and $2,300 in J&J. And so far I've made what, roughly $1,700, $1,800 in gains? So not a whole lot. But overall, the reason that I'm not heavily invested in the pharmaceutical business and in healthcare companies is I've came to the conclusion that I don't really understand this industry on an in-depth level. So I shouldn't be picking individual companies out that I don't have an in-depth understanding of. So instead of trying to understand how AbbVie produces products and their pipeline and their approval and their licensing 
and how they market their products, I've just decided to limit the amount of exposure that I have to pharmaceutical companies. If I want to invest heavily into individual companies, it's going to be in an industry that I understand better. So right now, I can't really tell you if AbbVie or J&J are great value. I just collect the dividends and I reinvest those dividends into other holdings. Now, in the real estate category, there's still two companies that I haven't talked about yet. We have Realty Income Corp., the monthly dividend company, and we have Simon Property, the mall REIT. Both of these I'm actually bullish on. I'm bullish on Realty Income Corp. I think this company has a bright future. It's a pretty safe dividend-paying company. And then we have Simon Property, which is a mall REIT. So a lot of people have various opinions on this and the future of malls. But this company has already weathered 2020. And they came out pretty well from it. And I think that there are a group of people that will continue to shop at high quality malls. So I think that Simon Property will have its place in the future. And I think the stock is probably still undervalued right now. So not only will I be holding this company, but I'll probably be adding to this position size over the coming months. Now, in the consumer category, there's still three companies that we haven't mentioned yet. We have Nike, Comcast, and Target. And Nike and Target are still in that category of companies that are fantastic companies, great brand value, good growth prospects, but extremely expensive. Nike trades at almost a 40 PE ratio right along with Costco. So Nike trades right now with extreme enthusiasm and optimism already priced into the stock. Nike's a company that I really like. I think it has good growth prospects, but there's simply better deals right now in the market, in my opinion. The company will probably be successful. It'll probably have a great future, but Nike I'm not buying right now and neither am I buying Target. I think that both of them are very expensive. Now we only have three companies left, Two of them are in the renewable and clean energy category. In this, I have some utility companies, Dominion Energy and Next Era Energy. These are smaller holdings. I'm not very enthusiastic about this sector. I think that it's going to continue doing what it does, which is grow at a very slow pace and pay dividends along the way. I like the type of companies that not only give cash to shareholders and they do decent dividend payouts, but that they grow substantially. They grow their earnings substantially so they can pay the shareholder a lot more in the future. And these companies really aren't in that category. So although I have these in my portfolio and they continue to pay dividends, I continue to reinvest those dividends into other faster growing companies. And then last up, we have my only stock in the telecom sector, which is Verizon, one of my worst performing stocks that I've ever purchased. I initiated a position of Verizon all the way back in 2018. In July of 2018 is when I invested $1,000. Currently, I have $3,800 invested, and my total gain from this company, including dividends, is $91. That's what my total gain is. $91, having invested thousands of dollars into it for years. This company simply has done nothing for a very long time. Now, I know that Warren Buffett bought a lot of Verizon. He bought $9 billion worth of Verizon but I just don't know about this purchase. I don't see the huge bull case with Verizon. I guess the company trades at a low valuation. That's certainly a positive. We have an expensive stock market and Verizon's not an expensive company, but there's no growth with this company. It's not growing at all. Quarter after quarter, year after year, and the revenue is completely flat. It never goes up. It never changes. So I'm probably missing something with this company. Warren Buffett's certainly a better investor than I am, but I just don't see the bull case for this stock. I see it going nowhere very quickly. This is one that not only am I not buying, but I've considered selling over the past few months, and I'm gonna be considering exiting this position in the future for companies that I think have better prospects. So that is it. That is my entire portfolio, every single holding, my current thoughts on them. I hope you enjoyed this video. And just keep in mind, 
all these companies, all these investments, what I'm ultimately trying to do is to increase this number right here, to make this graph continue to trend upwards. This is my income growth month over month. This is how much money my portfolio pays me on a monthly basis. You can see it grow over time. As I aggressively invest in these companies, reinvest their dividends, and hope that they continue to increase their dividends in the future, I continue to grow this amount pretty rapidly. Now, if you want access to this website, the Dividend Tracker, and the iOS app, that's included as part of the Patreon. There's a link in the description if you're interested. But that's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.